Expression is one of the most powerful tools we have. A voice, a pen, a keyboard. The real change which must give to people throughout the world their human rights must come about in the hearts of people. We must want our fellow human beings to have rights and freedoms which give them dignity. Article 19 is the voice in the room. Hello, Article 19 listeners. My name is Marty Malloy. Today's podcast was recorded live on August 4th at this year's PHL Innovation Picnic put on by Ben Franklin Technology Partners. What we did here was we were just grabbing folks off the lawn to spend a little bit of time talking to us about their work and the importance of supporting a vibrant technology scene in Philadelphia. You will hear background noise, but I think you'll agree that the energy of talking live and unscripted is well worth it. Now, one other note, accessibility doesn't take center stage as it does in our usual episodes, but it runs through each of the conversations. So we're just going to go ahead and let the tape roll through all of our guests, one after the other. But I want to let you know who you're going to hear from. So our first conversation starts with Catherine Sontag, and she works with Witty Gritty. And Witty Gritty was the organizers of the event. She made sure everything was running smoothly throughout the day. Then we hear from Jason Bannon, who's a vice president with Ben Franklin Technology Partners, talking about the history of the event as well as where they're going in the future. Our next conversation will be Nick Spring, whose intellect and great professional history will be on full display, talking about his newest venture, BioVarus. We move on to Evan Harden, the second, at the moment, most famous Harden in Philadelphia. But his energy, his entrepreneurial spirit as a creator is very much something you want to stick around and listen to. And then finally, we finish with Philadelphia hometown boy, Brendan McGuire, who'll be talking to us about his company, Whipfully. We're really excited about all of the guests who stopped by our booth and talked with us throughout the day. But let's go ahead and get these conversations started. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Article 19. This is a very different Article 19. I feel like we've been doing a few of those recently. We are outside recording live at the Benjamin Franklin Technology Partners PHL Innovation Picnic. I'm here with my old co-host... Michael Mangos. Hey, Hello, Michael. Hello. What's going on? This is pretty amazing. There's people flipping frisbees and cups falling down and people getting wet. It actually looks like a lot of people fun. cheering. It's great. Uh, it yeah. is about 4,000 degrees. Yeah, 4,000 degrees. And people in the sun have been doing a cornhole tournament, which <laughs> is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> Surprised the bags aren't like exploding in fire <laughs> yes. in the middle of the they, air. Well, they leave the hand as a whole beanbag and they <laughs> land as an incendiary missile. <laughs> well, we're going to find out all about all of the folks that are here at the Innovation Picnic today. I hope to talk to all of the different companies and talk a little bit more about what Benjamin Franklin Technologies Partners is all about and oh, what yeah. they're up to. But as always, we will sneak in good inclusivity, good accessibility conversation. Absolutely. We are also, for those listening, we have a table under a tent. So we're out of the sun, thankfully. And there's a bit of a breeze. It's sort um, of a hot wind. But we've got some pieces about the Sierra Tamman 360, as well as other good Tamman swag on the table. Yeah. But we're hoping to get a lot of folks to come up and tell us about their company, Tell us about what they have going on. Find out how much they know about accessibility. We'll yeah. do a bit of a well, different kind of three it, questions I, and go from yeah, there. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think for me what's so interesting is we talk about innovation, 
And so many people in business don't think about accessibility as a piece of that innovation process. Right. They may see it, if at most they see it as a compliance requirement or like an aspirational goal. Just one and, more and thing I, think, I kind of have to maybe check off yeah, the list. If they even know that it exists. And I think what's really cool is having all these innovative companies here or companies that are in the process of innovation or the process of innovation, as we'll debate later. I think it's it's going to be really interesting to find out who here is actually thinking about and addressing accessibility. Sure. And not in a way, I, I definitely don't want to do it in a gotcha way. You never no. do, by the way. I, you're very good <laughs> at that. But I do want to build some awareness. And yeah. a lot of what Article 19 has been about from the very beginning is having conversation that can build awareness around all of the kinds of issues and intersections with digital accessibility. You know, I've been thinking about you a lot recently. Oh. Because uh, today, actually on this day, so for anybody listening to this a year from now, it's just whatever day you're on. I finished the book Hobbin by Hobbin oh. Germa. Oh, nice. Uh, awesome. And I have to give a giant shout out to her. Uh, someday I hope to meet her. But my big takeaway, my headline, and this is why I bring it up now, is I went into the book thinking Hobbin Germa the first deaf-blind woman to graduate from Harvard Law School, a woman who has climbed mountains and glaciers and, you know, is an is international speaker on, on educating people about digital accessibility and inclusivity. And I left the book being not that impressed. <laughs> and what I mean by that is she's, sure, a remarkable woman, but it's not about inspiration. It's about the fact that when we remove barriers for people with disabilities, great achievements can happen. Sure. And that was my takeaway. Not like, oh, this one remarkable woman was able to overcome blah, blah, blah. No, I think she hits home with her book with the message that when we remove barriers, people with disabilities can achieve things that people without disabilities can achieve as well. Anyway, I yeah, just, I was absolutely. really struck by that. Look, it's really not about the fact that a barrier has been reduced, but it's what do you do with that new freedom? or that new ability, right? And so Hobbin's one of those great examples of someone who took her opportunity. You know, she, she, she credits her parents a lot with that, with that opportunity, you know, building that for her. But once they opened those doors for her, made it possible for her to do some of those things, and then they had a community around themselves that helped open more doors and make things possible, she did something with it, right? Like, that's the cool part. That's the inspiring part for me. She should credit her parents and the ADA, and she, she talks about that in the book, about how the Americans Disabilities Act created an environment in the United States that wasn't able to be found in Eritrea and other parts of the world, and I think we should celebrate that. But then she talks about her parents in a way that they were always afraid for her. You know, they brought her here to allow wow. her to have these experiences and, and to, to reach her full potential, thanks to the ADA. But then it was, how do I break free? Because they were always like, well, no, what about, the, oh, I'm so afraid for you, I'm so afraid for you. And, and she was always fighting against that. And yeah. I thought that was particularly interesting. And how often do we find people without the same disabilities as someone with a disability, a particular disability, how often do we artificially create barriers around well, we just want to make it safer for you or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 sure. Anyway, very fascinating, very fascinating. So we have a lot of people to talk to and talk about here at the Ben Franklin Technology Partners Innovation Picnic. And we hope we can invite more people out of the sun and under our tent to talk on this special Article 19 podcast edition. I think we have a good chance of it because we also have a row of trees behind us that creates more shade. Well, and more importantly, perhaps food and drink trucks, yeah. <laughs> which is also going to be the draw. We're hoping to get people are in line. we're live, we could be telling people, come over here. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> well, it's funny that I know the DJ. Uh, if uh, folks can hear in the background, if there's yeah. anything in the back, it's a party atmosphere. So there might be some noise that isn't usual. But I used to work with her at uh, Youth Build. 
Oh, wow, that's so How cool. How fun is that? Oh, fun. So I'm here with Catherine Sontag, principal organizer of the Ben Franklin Innovation Picnic. Yeah, let's. I like that title, okay. principal organizer. Yeah, so uh, I, I wanted you to come over. Tell us about the picnic. It's in its fourth year, right? Yeah, um, it's our fourth year, um, so it's an awesome event. It's really just a time for the tech startup innovation scene of Philadelphia and beyond to enjoy summer, let loose, have fun. Not a time to like talk about you know work or have panels, so it's really just a time to celebrate the work we're all doing. Um, and it's organized by a lot of great like community partners. So you've got Ben Franklin Technology Partners, uh, Pact, PIDC, Broadpath, uh, University City Science Center, and Philly Startup Leaders. That's so great. And so you may not know the answer to this, and that's okay. Okay. Uh, are you aware of any other type of community? like this that comes together uh, outside of Philadelphia? I mean, this feels very unique to me. I mean, I don't, I can't say, you know, I've done extensive research to prove otherwise, but um, I feel like it is unique. I feel like Philadelphia is a really tight knit community, especially in this uh, community of startups and folks that care about growth and Philadelphia doing bigger and better and more equitable things. So I feel like it's fun to see all these companies come together and have some, you know, lighthearted field games that they're competing just to get a chance to take some photos, grab a drink. Yeah. And so I do feel like it's unique. What are uh, not 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 sort of like the innovation picnic goals, but what are some of your goals for today? Like what did you what would define today as a success for Catherine? Oh, for me personally, um, I would have loved it to be 10 degrees cooler. I am not <laughs> a weather person though, so oh well. Um, success, I mean, it's happening right now. There's a huge crowd. We haven't gathered together since 2019. It's feeling like things are back happening. You know, or kind of everyone's comfortable convening again, which feels really refreshing. And, you know, as I say, to get a little emotional. It's been a long time since I've seen a crowd of this size together in person. That's so great. Now, a little birdie told me that uh, of the field games that we have, we have some things that are very... Uh, sort of standard, right? I mean, you've got your your cornhole, and uh, there's a dunk tank over there, mm -hmm. which looks very inviting right now. Yeah. But I heard you've invented some of. <laughs> there are like Catherine, uh, from her brain, mm -hmm. invented games out here today. Can you tell us about one or two of those? Sure. Yeah. So we've got some standard cornhole, badminton, water balloon toss stuff, but we had to get a little creative. Um, so we had one where you've got uh, stacks of cups that you must knock off with a Frisbee. I myself am terrible at Frisbee, so I was like, this will be fun or awful for some people. <laughs> um, oh, there goes Alex chasing uh, one of our inflatable beach balls. Um, one of the challenges for that was to take those foam water squirters you play in the pool with as a kid, and you had to kind of like curling style use those as a team to I get love a it. large inflatable beach ball across the finish line. It's so. so great. And there is a great deal of cheering going on. Uh, yes. So I think your games have been supremely successful. Yes, so well done so there. One team will receive a six-foot trophy that they. I hope they can get in their car. <laughs> it is a very large trophy. It is very obnoxiously large. Uh, and there's great food and drinks. So if... Uh, if you were to, uh, you know, improve, I don't know how you would, but mm -hmm. if you're going to improve on something for the fifth annual, 
right. innovation picnic. What, what would be something you'd like to see besides, obviously, the 4,000-degree weather? Oh, you know, if one thing we really wanted to do that we couldn't quite swing this year was, like, some, uh, you know, those inflatable obstacle courses? Yeah, yeah. You can do, like, an inflatable slip and slide. Inflatable uh, course. I had an inflatable course for my 30th birthday party, so I'm nostalgic for those. This is really great. I love <laughs> the fact that I mean, the the I think it is very rare. And the reason I asked that first question of bringing different companies and people together in a professional setting, but it's not a meetup. Right. There's no pressure. It's just a chance for people to come, build community hang out with great food, fun games, and this, I think, is a way of defining Philly. I mean, I think that's kind of a little bit of what Philly is. We can be very professional, but we can have a lot of fun doing it, too. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of events, there's a lot of pressure to, like, get business cards or meet 10 new people, and you can do that here, but, like, also you can just, like, casually meet someone in a food truck line or just hang with people you haven't seen in a while, so. Come hang out on a podcast. Yeah. There Chat you on go. the podcast with Marty. Enjoy the, the tunes. We have an awesome DJ over there, uh, yep. DJ uh, Zuri. Oh, I, I'm blanking. She has a DJ name. I'm blanking her name. It's uh, D33K or it's something. Yeah. Oh, DJ Geek. It's DJ, DJ Geek. Geek. It oh, is DJ Geek. Yes, yes, yes. That yes. makes sense. DJ Geek. Anyway, uh, Catherine, thank you. Thank you for thank all the you. work you put into this. We really appreciate it. Thanks for and being And we're here, glad Marty to be a part of it. Tamman. So I am here with the man of the hour, the executive <laughs> director of the Philadelphia chapter of Ben Franklin Technology Projects. I, I ruined that already. <laughs> so, Jason Bannon, tell us who you. you are and why you're here. I am the vice president in marketing and communications for Ben Franklin Technology Partners. My CEO, Scott Nissenbaum, has a big footprint here, so I just follow along wherever he stops. Sounds great. And you were my introduction to Ben Franklin Technology Partners. Fantastic. But can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and what you do. All right. So the short elevator pitch is we're the most active seed and early stage investor in technology-focused enterprises in the Philadelphia region, but we are a nonprofit. Our sense of returns comes as much from companies that plant roots here, hire people here, bring tax dollars to Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania suburbs around it, and grow more companies, and grow more founders, and grow more technologists, and keep that cycle growing. That is what we consider returns. That's amazing. And I'm imagining there's a lot of wins. I mean, you've got to have so Absolutely. many stories of just some. Is there one that just jumps off at you right now? Maybe it's an alumni that you're just so proud of. And There are so many wins. At this event today, one of my favorite stories is a company called Roundtrip that figured out a way to leverage the infrastructure around ride sharing and use that to get patients to their doctor's appointments on time. They connect wow. insurance companies, care providers, and patients in a way that makes sure that they are preventing further costs from down the road of missed appointments. They get people to the doctor on time. And it's a fantastic idea. It's a simple thing, but it does such great work. But we have companies like Roar for Good that have been developing personal safety technology. Right now, they're focusing on personal safety for people in the hospitality industry. It's a tremendous challenge that the people that take care of the places we stay when we spend time doing things
things we love, they are often at risk, unfortunately. Yeah. So they are working on personal safety devices that are taking care of them. I mean, those are two small examples that come to mind. Not to mention the fact that we have companies in our portfolio that are reducing the time it takes to get people the proper mental health care they need. They are developing new therapeutics that are developing new medical devices that are literally making lives better. Not just, you know, air quotes making lives better sure, as sure. in bringing jobs and revenue. That's all great. But there are literally people that are coming away from a better experience by the companies that we're able to put capital into and give support resources to. And I love that. So if there is someone right now who has an idea and they always wanted to strike out on their own and be that entrepreneur, what do they need to do to be able to come to Ben Franklin Technology Partners? How does someone find you and, and get started within your cohorts and funding and extra? Well, you know I'm going to recommend that everybody comes to this PHL Innovation Picnic yes. every year, right? So that's a plug. But really, what the picnic was designed to be was a convening of all of the people and organizations that anybody would need to connect to to get plugged in, but also to have fun doing it. I mean, I recommend events like this, but every one of the organizations that are represented here, because this is a community planned event, there are six organizations behind the planning of it. There are nine organizations that sponsored this year. Everybody who is a part of it, this is like a one-stop shopping thing for people who want to get started in tech-based entrepreneurship in the Philadelphia region. That's the way we put it together. When we put this event together, it was really put together to be a venue for the people that wanted to get started in understanding how to break into this technology and entrepreneurship community of Philadelphia. So we run this with a number of other organizations that are doing this work. It's six organizations that are pulling it off. It's another nine organizations that sponsor it. This is designed to be the day to come out to meet everybody who you could possibly want to meet to put together your path for entrepreneurship, to actually find and connect with the people that you might want to talk to tomorrow, next week, two years from now, 10 years from now. Everybody who you would want to connect with to find a way to make your idea into a sustainable business as long as you want to do it here. Because everybody here who is at this event believes in Philly passionately. They believe in it wholeheartedly and they love it here. And this community has been going, look, this is the fourth year we've run this event. Talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. This was a continuation of a number of events that have run in the community for a long time. Predecessors to organizations like PACT and one of the original investors in town, Safeguard, used to run a thing like this. We continued it on from where Philly startup leaders had it going, from where Philly New Tech Meetup had it going. We all decided that we can combine efforts and make a bigger, easier to manage event. Well, hell with easier to manage when you got a dunk tank at the end of the mix, you know, right? I mean, it, you got to do things like that. We got to switch it up and make it different every year sure. and add something a little bit more to add a little bit of fun. But there's been one bit of consistency about this. Everybody here likes to have beers and eat good food and have a good time. So the good time was a big part of it. Yeah. Everybody here wants to support other causes to keep it going. So consistent with this event, 100% of the ticket proceeds have always been focused on raising the next generation of founders. This year, it's about supporting Coded by Kids, which runs fantastic. Such a great organization. Yeah, I'm so glad. I agree. I'm so glad you guys good. know about them because they have been doing great work to run coding programs and technology programs in Philly schools. They've been doing it for a long time. And Coded by Kids, Coded by Kids founder Sylvester Mobley started an initiative, and he and his team started this initiative called One Philadelphia that is really focused on making sure that Philly is building a continuity of pipeline to help underrepresented founders make sure that they have a clear path too. because venues like this have not always looked the way it looks this year and needs to keep progressing. The, the dynamic of the audience needs to keep shifting to reflect what's going on in the city, 
what's going on in the region. And this event is hopefully about continuing that. But One Philadelphia and Coda by Kids have always been focused on doing that work. We are thrilled that we get to help them out with it this year. That's with fantastic. Event. And I think you just answered this question, but I want to maybe perhaps allow you a chance to put more fine a point on it. This is the fourth picnic. Yeah. What do you really want to see in the fifth picnic? Ooh, what do I want to see in the fifth picnic? Hopefully I want to see, you know, like everybody else, I want to see a pandemic not make us so afraid to make events like this big. Now, to be fair, we had more than 400 people out on a day like this, and that's a big commitment to anybody to get out. Even though this is a safe venue, it's out on a lawn, this is, you know, a couple of football fields in size. Everybody's having a good time here, but they are committed. They understand that the time that they're going to spend here is worth their while. That makes me feel good. Yeah. If we can continue that next year and make sure more of the community feels safer to come out, that's going to be a success for me next year. Because the first time we ran this was in 2017, but this is only the fourth annual. Sure. And taking those two years off, it's like we have so much good momentum that we have been building that we would love to get back to. The companies are doing good work. The community is doing good work. If everybody can just lean in a little and keep it going again, here, here. that's what next year success will look like more next year. I love it. I've been really struck because I've had those conversations today right. on air and not on air. I mean, feeling like I'm connecting to people. Marty, but... it's a stacked deck. We made sure that those people <laughs> were here. Sorry about that. No, very much appreciated. But the fact is, we've talked to very young people, people who are more experienced and senior, men and women, people of color. It really is a diverse mix of people, and I think it is very representative of Philadelphia, and I think that's a tribute to you, tribute to the organizers and the work that you've done to build this. I will tell you that there are board members of many decades of experience. There are founders that just found out about organizations like PSL that all are here for the first time, and they get to bump into each other. That's what this is about, and I love it. I love that this episode is going to make those colleagues of ours who don't live in Philadelphia as well as all of our other listeners who are not in Philadelphia want to come to Philadelphia. I, and I love that. You know, I mean, I think that's honestly a big part of what this day is all about. I mean, I'm looking at giant Connect Fours and still people hanging out in the bar and we got the dunk tank that's going. Right. It's so many fun games happening here today. I think it's just been really, really great. Is there anything about Ben Franklin Technology Partners that you were hoping I'd ask you that I didn't ask you? Ooh, is there anything about that I I would hoping, hoping such a not ask. a fair question. I know. Well, it, I'm sorry. But, it's, it's me turning the interview on its head and saying, "Ah, oh, do the work oh, for me." Right. Now, what I will say is the thing that people most ask and are most shocked by is the fact that I tell people that there's never a wrong time to talk to us. There may mm. not be a perfect time to talk to us to get investment, but there's never a wrong time to talk to us because some companies, some founders, some entrepreneurs have a different sense of what success means to them, and we have different ways of supporting different audiences and different founders in that regard. So there's never a wrong time to start the conversation. There can be better times to actually pursue investment, but there's never a wrong time to start. So I have a really hard-hitting question for you, actually, oh, before we okay. get to our last question. And if it's not fair, we'll just cut it. That's okay. One of our guests today, I asked them a question about what makes Philadelphia special, and he talked about the frothiness of Philadelphia's mm. innovation community. I love yeah. that term. I'm all about it. But he went on to talk about what he wishes Philadelphia still had, which yeah. is, he said, it's amazing for startups. It's amazing for innovation. He thinks it's one of the best places in the world, but it doesn't have the next level funding. Do you see mm. an opportunity for Philadelphia? Is that, you know, you got to go to New York, you got to go to San Francisco, whatever. Do you see an opportunity or a landscape where Philadelphia will eventually allow for some of that second and third level funding for innovators? I do. But more importantly, what I also see, how about 
this for a fact, and that's why I love that you asked this, because this is not a hard one to answer. Philly is one of the top five markets that investors in New York, the Valley, and Boston are interested in. Like, year over year, we swap spots with places like Austin as to which city they are more interested in, whether it's us or Philly. So the thing I would say to entrepreneurs that maybe don't believe that there's enough capital in Philly is look at all of the other markets that are thriving that also believe there's not enough capital in their market and understand where it is best for you to do your business. And when your business is right, the capital will follow. The capital goes where there are the best ideas and the best opportunities. And look, the capital can live in San Francisco and be spent on Philly-based companies. There are great thriving companies in this house today, here, still here, after a number of hours because they like having beers with this crowd. (laughs) Founders of some great organizations that did none of their fundraising in Philly, but believe passionately that their business needs to stay located in Philly. So, the answer I would say is, don't worry about the capital that is here. Worry about what are the characteristics that make it worth you to build your business here. Focus on what it's going to take to keep your people here, to keep them happy, to keep them enjoyable and keep them enjoying their experience and growing because every company I talk to believes passionately that this is the place to do it. So don't worry about the capital that's not here because there's plenty of capital other places that believe in you being here. That's what I would say. As a Philadelphian, that is so great. Okay, so one of our traditions on Article 19 is that we ask all of our guests to come on for a recommendation of some Something that they've thoroughly enjoyed recently and from any media. What recommendation do you have for us and our listeners? All right. So I'm going to say this. It's hard to say and enjoyed, but I took great value from this because I consider myself a night owl. I consider myself a fan of a good cocktail, of a beer every now and again. But the book that I have read in the last year that I most love that has turned my life in a different direction, turned my daily habits in a different direction, is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And it is very interesting in the fact that this gentleman who wrote this book has done a compilation of all the different angles regarding the importance of sleep and good sleep habits on a daily basis. So I'm a runner and I consider exercise one of the best things that regulates my sleep and my daily health, but I'm not getting the most out of my runs unless I can get a good solid seven to nine hours of sleep. I'm not doing the best work unless I can get that good sleep. If I am not eating right, if I am not making sure that one beer a day doesn't become three beers on the weekends, that's messing up my sleep. And I will say to you that that made a big difference in my daily life. It wasn't a happy lesson to learn, but I am thankful for it. Can I say to you that at this point in the summer, I probably need to reread the book again because events like this, maybe they're about more than a drink or two. That kind of advice could be helpful. But it is a good one, and I recommend it to anybody. Anybody who has struggled with sleep and has struggled with the reason for, you know, understanding how to prioritize this in their life. It's one of my best reads of the year. I will tell anybody to read it instantly. I love it. I love this event. Having said that, I know I'm usually exhausted at the end of this thing, so <laughs> sleep's not going to be a problem tonight. As you, as you should be, actually. So, uh, well earned, I would say. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on, spending a few minutes with us. My thank pleasure, you for letting Marty. Tamin be a part of this. Oh, of course. Uh, this is really You great. guys made this happen. We don't get to have this fun unless Tamin supports it, so I I am so glad you were here. Well, we will be here again, that is for sure, if Love you'll it. have us. So, Love it. Very good. Thank you so much. Let's keep the conversation going. Please, and Marty. We'll Thank talk- you.
talk you. to you very, very soon. Excellent. So I'm here with Nick Spring. Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, hi, Marty. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, so my background is that uh, I originally started off in the UK. I like to tell that from my accent, in London, England. I studied life sciences as an undergrad degree and business as a post. Worked for uh, Merck all around the world for about 23 years. And then really got into the innovation scene about 2005-ish, where I left Merck and started my first company, which was actually fully backed by the Ben Franklin Technology Partnership. Oh, that's great. Yep. And we had a successful growth of that company, sold it to Sanofi, dabbled around with a few other companies, and right now I'm CEO of a company called Bioveris, which is again backed by my good friends over at Ben Franklin. So that's fantastic. Very, very nice. It worked once. Let's see. Let's go back, see if we can get it again. So a couple of questions around that. One, it must have been quite a decision to leave a company like Merck, I mean, this giant pharma company that was probably fairly comfortable at the time, to start your own thing. How did you make that leap to start your own business? Oh, it was sort of a multifactorial situation. Being with Merck for 23 years, worked all around the world, brilliant company, loved every moment of it. Started off actually in the animal health division, helping dogs, cats, horses, pigs, sheep, cattle, you know, get better from illnesses. So did that for a while. And then I transferred into the human health division, um, you know, with vaccines and things, got really interested in that. But really, a, a, a number of circumstances came together. It's one of those moments where I was sort of saying, well, what am I going to do next? Where do I go from here? So I always thought, well, I could always get back into big pharma if I wanted to, but I really would like to have to go doing something myself. So I left. And also my kids at the time, uh, three daughters, who had head lice and nothing worked against it. So I had this idea for inventing something that would really work. And that's the genesis of Topaz, the first company. That's fantastic. So you're with Bioverse now. You've started this new entity. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Bioverus. Oh, Verus, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. It derives from a, a sort of a, a time in a pub, dreaming up a name for the company. And uh, where bio, the best names come from? Uh, oh yeah, Bioveritas means truth in biology. And what we're doing in this company is uh, very different from the, the previous one. So it's basically a software company, but we have developed a blockchain-based platform where you can gather clinical data in an immutable form and ultimately will lead on to NFTs so that you can have indisputable data being produced for trials, which means you're going to get pharmaceuticals, med devices, biologicals produced far more quickly, far more efficiently and getting to people who really need these life-saving uh, therapies much more quickly. So that's what we're trying to do. And we're very successfully at it right wow. now. Wow. Wow. All right. So I will not pretend you're already a little bit over my head. I understand just a little bit, but I'm imagining that, and it makes perfect sense why it would be faster, but will you run into obstacles with different countries then not being okay with the speed at which some of those medicines will be in vaccines or whatever would be created? No, not really. I think actually most medical systems are looking to make themselves more efficient. And in fact, you know, the pandemic recently proved it doesn't take 10 years to produce a vaccine. You could actually do it in a year. So, no, I think anything that makes things more efficient, delays systems, makes it more accessible for everyone is really the way that the world's moving. And you're even seeing things like, you know, the metaverse, as it's now called, happening. And that's going to be really based on blockchain. So, yeah. you know, you're going to see the whole internet transfer into a completely new technology, which is much more efficient, much quicker, and delayed. And, and gives actually people more power. I would imagine not only the efficiencies for the medicines themselves, but the blockchain giving a sort of truth or belief that people have more faith in what is being created then. Yeah, you nailed it, Marty. It's all about trust. And, you know, this has nothing to do with crypto, by the way, which sort of proves the thesis that blockchain could work. This is all to do with having trust in data that hasn't been manipulated, it hasn't been massaged, it hasn't been, you know, fraudulently put in. You can trace every piece of data right 
right back to its origin and every single movement along the blockchain. So it's going to create a brand new world, uh, a revolutionary new world for drug approval. That's so amazing. So back to Ben Franklin Technology mm -hmm. Partners for a minute. Oh, yeah. You know, you've worked with them now a couple of times. Yeah. What is it that they do that is so important? And why did you come back to them after having success before? What were you looking for? Well, I'll give a shout out to a few people here. I mean, I've worked with Ben Franklin very heavily since 2005 when they came in my first company. What I love about them is that they act as a fantastic reflection and very objective assessment of what you're trying to do. I found them very good from multiple points of view. The coaching they can give, the objectivity they can give, I'd say, around a business plan, the fact they will actually back what they say by putting money into your company, and they've been a, a very strong guide all the way along the lines. So I've dealt with Scott uh, Nissenbaum, who's now heading the whole thing up. Jen Hart was on my first board. She's now a managing director here. She's brilliant. Sri Sridhar he too is uh, around and helping us. So they're very involved but in a very good way. Some investors you can have in companies sometimes can be a little bit painful. They're just criticizing you all the time. These guys are very effective at saying, look, hey, have you realized this, but have you thought of doing that? And that's what I find fantastic about them. And they're always there for you. And they run fun events like the Innovation yeah, Picnic. No so it can't be bad, can It's it? fantastic. All right, so two more questions for you. Uh -huh. One is, why Philadelphia? You've been all over the world. What makes Philadelphia so unique for great innovation? Actually, you hit one of my soapboxes. I think Philadelphia is fantastic. I've actually given talks here and overseas, back in the UK and in Europe, about how this particular ecosystem is fantastic getting things going. My only wish for Philadelphia is I really wish we had a second or third level of investment. We're very good at startups, we're very good at innovation, but when you get to the serious money, you got to go to New York, San Francisco, all the usual suspects. Sure. But it is a very, very frothy environment. You've got lots of academics going here. You've got world-class scientists. You've got cell biology happening at an incredible rate. It's a wonderful place. That's fantastic. Now, I don't get a chance to talk to folks originally from the UK very often. So my last question for you before we get to your recommendation for us is tell me why Tottenham Hotspur will win the Premier League this year. Well, that's a very good question, but completely misguided. <laughs> <laughs> Largely because you have to understand something. So I'm actually a North Londoner, and we have two teams in North London, one of which is fantastic, and the other one probably be sure in the door. It's not the English <laughs> Channel. And the, the true team for North London is Arsenal. Oh, you're breaking my heart. And oh. the one that people don't really know, if they know nothing about football, they often latch into, is Tottenham Hotspur. There's nothing hot about Tottenham oh, Hotspur. Oh, yeah, this is killing me. Killing me. All right, very good. So, uh, finally, as tradition on Article 19, we ask our guests to give us a recommendation yep. for something they've been into recently. What? Give us one recommendation to our listeners. Well, actually, interestingly enough, one of the sidelines I did for 10 years was an adjunct professor down at the University of Sciences uh, doing on their MBA programs. And uh, I've read a lot of books over the years that have helped me form companies and help people form companies. And there's probably two that spring to mind that worth looking at. One's by a guy called Kotler, which is called Marketing Management, and that's just brilliant about how to identify audiences for your products so you sell them, because all companies have to sell something sometime. And the other one, actually, I think especially is good for startups, is a book called Scaling Up, and that's just fantastic, because it takes you from everything, from one or two people, right up to, you know, 500 plus, and what you're 
do really at each stage. So they're the two recommendations I make. I love it. I love it. Nick, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, well, thank you very much indeed, Marty, bumping into you this beautiful day. And uh, I hope you're going to have a great time. I've certainly had a great time on your podcast. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank Thanks. you very much. I'm here with Evan Harden, OG. There we go. As we just said, the second most famous, but soon to be first most famous Harden in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Evan, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm by trade a performance coach. So I've started out with fitness and physical fitness and then also incorporated hypnotherapy to working with the mind for all around performance enhancement experience working with athletes and professionals alike. But as far as company-wise, what I do is called the National Bar League. So I have people from around the world competing and what you would say is a mix between gymnastics and parkour. So I have these outdoor pull-up bars, and people will come out, and you'll have one guy go up, do a bunch of tricks that look like gymnasts, but on an outdoor pull-up bar, on a metal one, and somebody else will go and they compete, and we have scores and rankings and all those type of things. So is this something that was born in Philadelphia, or is this a worldwide phenomenon? So I wouldn't take complete credit. I would say it is global. It's very global. I was very early on in it to where the competitions aren't necessarily what I do. It wasn't how it started. So I entered where I was inspired by athletes already doing things but as I started to get more involved I actually became a spearhead of the movement I have an outdoor fitness park built in South Philadelphia I work with the Philadelphia Eagles Connor Barwin and people can go out there for free work out practice your tricks practice muscle ups and you don't need a gym membership and it's free for the community and we could also have events there and people can compete and all that so I have so many questions we could be here for a while <laughs> so settle in so all right I first want to go to hypnotherapy okay my only experience with that is Many, many years ago, decades ago, my mother quit smoking using hypnotherapy. Nothing else worked but hypnotherapy. But I know there are a lot of people that might be listening that have no idea what that really means or entails. And I, honestly, I was a kid. I don't really know. I just know she went through a process of what I remember as relaxation. But can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in that space? So um, that is interesting about you say about relaxation. So what I do is get people into a point of focused relaxation. It's kind of for nowadays people say focus and you kind of feel tense, like you should be laser beaming through yeah. your, with your eyes through something, where it's actually the very opposite. When you're most focused is probably when you're doing something you really love, right? And say, like for flow, instance, it's right? a flow. Yeah. That is your focus state. When you're nice sure. and relaxed, you know what you're doing. And I put people in that state to where I can work directly with the subconscious mind. So you're in a flow trance state and I can help you with the information and plant the seeds in your subconscious mind to help you with whatever you want to accomplish. Similar to quitting smoking, but only I don't necessarily like those things. I'm more so improve focus, improve confidence, things that can improve your discipline, things that can help you on your own achieve Mm. those type of goals. So this might be a little bit out there, and it's totally fine if it's a no, but in what you've done in your coaching, have you ever worked with someone who had a physical disability of any kind? Yes, many a times. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So... Honestly, I have a disability. So I was shot when I was 16. So I currently live with a bullet next to my spine. Oh, my gosh. And so part of me starting calisthenics, the National Bar League, was me retraining my body through functional, no weights, just calisthenics training that helped me become an actual competitor myself. And I've won competitions myself. Wow. So, and I started training at 25. I was shot at 16. So working with people with disabilities is actually something I enjoy because through the process of utilizing functional fitness through calisthenics, there's so much you can do to become more mobile or more athletic. I've seen people in wheelchairs do a 
pull up more than pulling with your wheelchair on strapped to you. No. So, I mean, it's just it's amazing what I see. Yeah. I've seen 70-year-old guys on top of the bar throwing themselves. My business partner's 40. He does the same things on the bar I do. So, to see the longevity in it, to work with people who may think that they can't do something, yeah. I actually kind of prefer it. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So, coming back to, and it's the Bar League, right? Is that what you National said? Bar League. National or Bar MBX League. Or MBX for short. MBX. Where can people find that if they just want to find you online, find more information about that? You can Google my name, Evan Harden. It comes up pretty easily or follow me on Instagram at OG underscore fitness. I basically have everything up on there. The National Bar League's at. We have tons of videos online. We're actually in the process of throwing our next event, probably coming next year. Oh, a wow. bigger event. We've been throwing events for like the last 10 years all over Philadelphia. Again, we have people all over the world that come out and compete from New York, Jersey, California, Russia, Germany. It's really amazing to watch these people do it. I hope to see you guys can see some videos yourself. So yeah, that's what we do. That's where you can kind of find us and follow us there and keep updated on our next event. So you don't strike me as somebody who stays still for very long. So what else is cooking for you? Like I would imagine, I mean, you're building this international organization right now. I should ask actually, are you working with Ben Franklin Tech Partners? So not at the moment. I graduated from Philadelphia Startup Leaders Accelerator Program, the Got ethical it. entrepreneurship. I'm close with PAC, so I work with those guys a little bit. For the most part, it's been a lot of my own hustle, a lot of pounding the pavement, walking up, knocking on different doors, who wants to sponsor. Red Bull sponsored us before, and it was just a, me going into the office and saying, who does what? <laughs> who can I talk to? That was mostly the hustle that got me to this point to be able to actually I do speaking for some of the events for PSL. Got it. Philadelphia Startup Leaders. So that's how I end up here, just always circulating and involved. I think that's so great. And I think it speaks, and we've talked to a couple people about this, Philadelphia's unique. One person used the term frothy, and I loved it. Mm. It was sort of like this mixing and and frothiness of the innovation space in Philadelphia, which I really dig. So one of the things we do on Article 19, and this conversation wasn't nearly long enough, we're going to have to bring you back for something that is much more formal, is we ask our guests to give us a recommendation of something they're into right now, and it could be from any media or anything that you've been, been All right. Into. No, I'll, I'll show my, my more, uh, I read a lot of manga. I'm into anime. I grew up on it. Dragon Ball Z from ev- everything. All the little ones. I love I, I love it. And there's, uh, I think it's called Manwa because it's coming out of Korea. It's, and it's called Solo Leveling or Leveler. Either way, you'll find it. So if you're into manga and Manwa and you're looking for my one recommendation, I would say read that because it's really good. Like I literally ordered my own books from South Korea. So I had to order them off, uh, what was it, Pinterest or Etsy? Etsy. So I found somebody who had the copies so and I ordered. That's how good it was. And I just waited till they came in. Shipping fees and all that. But <laughs> That is so amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it was, that would be my one recommendation. Well, I got to tell you, Evan, from like just two minutes talking to you, I was like, I love his confidence, his bluster about being the soon to be first most famous hard in Philly. But man, you're already there. I appreciate it. I dig it. it, man. I really want to keep talking with you. Uh, so. uh, yeah. When, let me know. We can do a part two. I would appreciate that. Uh, I would dig it. Let's yeah. do it. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. So welcome back to Article 19. I'm here with... Brendan McGuire from Whitfley. Brendan, I'm so glad that you joined us here on Article 19. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm from uh, Springfield, Delaware County, so I'm born and raised Philadelphia guy. Um, nice. I grew up locally, went to uh, Penn State, lived in Toronto, Canada, right out of school for a year, which is a fun experience. Then I um, have been in the data management analytics space for a little over 25 years. Started a company called Waypoint Consulting 16 years ago. Wow. And we were acquired by Whipley this past February. Okay. So now uh, I'm a principal at Whipley, focusing on data management analytics. That's so cool. So folks can find you, and so I don't forget, what's Whipley's website? W-I-P 
WhipFly.com. Just as it sounds. Super easy. Yeah, it's, it gets sometimes people call it WhipFly, but it's WhipFly. WhipFly. I did it. It's a family name. It's a 90-year-old business, a little over a half a billion dollars in revenue, over 3,000 employees. We do have employees also in India. So, uh, yeah, it's a really cool, fast-growing company that is privately owned. That's so great. And so for your journey yep. coming out of school and being in this space, how did you fall into it? How did you fall into this data space? So coming out of Penn State, I was recruited to work in the technology space. This was right before I graduated in 95. Okay. Uh, it was right before Y2K. I think mean, they were just trying to find bodies to get in there. <laughs> uh, so I went to Toronto to do that and quickly became more of a business development. I was good with clients and that went growth. So I got into the sales side. And uh, at that point, I joined a data management analytics firm. At that time, it was called Decision Support Systems, then became Data Warehousing, and now it's sort of back to Decision Support. It's called Business Intelligence over the years. It's all about helping customers identify the data assets they own and making use of those. Sure. So my journey has been very much along those paths. Now, Whipley is a tax, accounting, and technology consulting firm. So we were required to bring a lot of more methodologies and talent to bolster the data and analytics capabilities that exist within Whipley. That's really, really great. And yeah. so... I've heard for a Philadelphia boy like yourself, we have a couple of uh, high-profile clients. Are you allowed to, to mention any of them on, on uh, the, the pod? Yeah, I mean, we've worked with a lot of great companies in Philadelphia over the years. I mean, currently, right now, we're working with companies like CubeSmart. It's a great company. Recovery Centers of America is a great company. I've worked in the Philadelphia region for years. Customers Bank. Philadelphia Eagles, I heard, maybe? Philadelphia Eagles okay, are a great client of ours, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this I, is Philadelphia. We yes, cannot have yeah. a... I should probably about mention it. that, yeah. They're, they're one, in fact, we uh, we just had a client event at their training camp on Tuesday. So we brought some clients to it, and it was really cool. We were literally on the field for a practice. That's so Great cool. experience. If you're an Eagles fan, it was really neat. Yeah, that yeah. is really neat. And so what sort of tools are you using at Whiffley? I mean, I, I'm curious because I can imagine that, you know, places like CubeSmart or the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, you're talking about mountains of data, right? I mean, so how does a company like Whipley work through some of that data and make it meaningful for your clients? So it's not so much a tool approach, even though we do work with tools. It's okay. about understanding their business processes, understanding the decisions they're making every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year, saying, how are you making those decisions? Are you making those decisions with data? Or is it just observations, you know, gut, sure. gut feel? Yeah. So we go through that process first and foremost is understanding their business process and how the data assets they, they are capturing can be leveraged. From there, there's a plethora of tools. Microsoft has uh, Synapse and Azure SQL in the cloud. Mm. There's tools like Snowflake. Those are data management products or platforms. Sure. And then you have tools like Tableau and Power BI and Click. Those are some of the leading data visualization products. But we never go into it leading with a tool. We actually ask our clients, have you made investments in products? If they have, we look to leverage that investment. Sure. Oh, that's great. The fact of the matter is most of these tools today, it's not about the tool. It's about what you build with the tool. Brendan, that is something that we talk about constantly, and it's an, it's a really interesting intersection between Whipley and Tamman because the tools can only get you so far. Right. We are a human-centered company. We are a tech company ourselves, but it has to be about the human intervention. So when you're looking at digital accessibility, we use all sorts of tools, but if you don't have the individuals being able to interpret that, analyze, creating roadmaps, helping people see past just the tool, then it will never reach its full potential. Absolutely. And what's, what's really neat about the space that we're in, so I got started in the data management analytics space with companies like Bank One and Capital One. Like They were the first companies to really break into data warehousing and because it was a big investment. You had to have the financial stamina to build something out and to deliver something. Now, with a lot of these cloud-based data tools, with the cost of entry, it's a lot less expensive. And 
therefore, mid-sized businesses, small to mid-sized businesses, can leverage these platforms. They don't have to mm. build the infrastructure for it. They can bring data in from their CRM, from their ERP, from their financial systems, and have a more enterprise view. And it's not a million-dollar project. You know, they can get in for a pretty low cost. That's awesome. Yeah. So, last question before sure. I get to our, our recommendations: What's next for you and Whipfully? I mean, where where are you guys headed in the in, you know sort of the short to intermediate term here? We're really helping a lot of small to mid-sized businesses. I've, we're kind of like Deloitte of the mid-market. Like we focus on the 20 to 400 million in revenue type of clients. And so we are doing a lot within the way of roadmaps for companies that size, helping them to identify again where, what data assets are available. We are continuing to drive more to the cloud, right? Cloud data management is a big part of what we're doing. And we're looking to continue to grow out our geographic presence. So that's yeah. awesome. I lied to you. I have another question. What brought you guys out to the? Uh, it's funny you ask that. Yeah. So within Whipley, we go to market by industry, right? So you align to an industry. Doesn't mean you have to be an expert in that industry, but you spend time educating yourself within the industry trends, what matters in that industry. So one of the industries that I focus in is tech. The number of tech clients that I've worked with over the years, startups, and. There's a couple things that are really important to tech customers. It's valuation metrics. It's attaching analytics to their solution, right? Because a lot of times when these tech companies sell solutions or sell their product, they commit to some level of reporting analytics, and it's often like the last thing they put in the product development roadmap. And therefore, they commit to it, they sell it, and, they, and the client buys on. They're like, where's my analytics? And that's like a kind of, oh, we got to do this. So I'm part of this tech group, and you know, we we're just looking at local things we can do. Someone forwarded this event to me. I went onto the website to just kind of attend, and I saw, hey, we can enter a team, right? So it is a picnic event here today. So talked to a couple of my colleagues in the tech group, and uh, we decided that there's seven of us here throwing Frisbees and beanbags, and it's cool, man. It's fun. It's a good chance. Listen, COVID stunk, right? It was terrible. For sure. So this is cool. You got to meet people, have a good time, and uh, have a beer afterward. I love it. So we end every interview on Article 19 with uh, a series of recommendations. I'm going to torture you with one question. I'd love to hear what one recommendation would you have for listeners right now of something you've been reading or listening to, any media. Don't worry about it. What is something you've been into recently? I'm going to come back. I'm going to stay with the sports theme, I think. I'm not going to necessarily recommend a book or, or a podcast or something of that nature. I just think sports is a great place where a lot of people can come together right now. It's a lot of anger out there. I'm not saying anything new here, but I think sports can be fun. Now, obviously, you pick a team, right? But, you know... Well, what, the Eagles fans are never angry, well, no, so no, that's I've been, fine. I've been a season ticket holder for many years, sitting at <laughs> 700 level, but we had this event there at the Eagles training camp, and one of my best clients is a diehard Steelers fan. She grew up in Pittsburgh, and she's not afraid to show her colors, right? They never and, are. You know, it's they are. They're great, though. <laughs> that's why I think Philadelphia people respect Pittsburgh people so much. But I really think just riding around college football, riding around pro football, riding around sports, it's fun. I'm looking forward to it. I have teenage kids, and like it's a great place to be instead of watching the Echo Chamber News Networks these days. Nice to bring people together. I really like it. A lot like the Innovation Picnic here. Uh, well, Brendan, thank you so much thanks, for hopping pleasure. on, yeah. man. I really appreciate, appreciate it. Me. Good luck. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you to Ben Franklin Technology Partners for allowing us to record and be a part of the picnic this year. We were so excited to be there. Thank you for the investment, the education, and the support that you bring to the Philadelphia tech scene. I also want to thank all of our guests who came by the Tamman booth that day to talk to us, those of you that made it onto the pod, as well as those who shared stories and didn't make it onto this episode. We loved hearing from you and getting energy about the work that you're doing around the community. Partnerships make everything we do possible. We cannot build the inclusive web without all of us working together. So keep listening, keep advocating, keep talking about accessibility in your work and in your life. 
If you like what you heard today and want to explore more about digital accessibility, inclusivity, or to schedule a time to talk with us, you can find the whole Tamman team at TammanInc.com. That's T-A-M-M-A-N-I-N-C.com. Or you can follow us on social media at Tamaninc, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We want to hear from you. Please let us know what you thought about today's episode and any of our past episodes. We want to make this podcast something that is valuable to you, and we want to make it better every single time. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again next time.